Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an Espionation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I'm joined this week by Eric Seeds. How's it going, man? Oh, trying to stay cool, you know? <laughs> yep, I was going to say, you know, hey, well, you know, at least it's not raining today, although I guess we got some storms coming in. So, but yeah, very hot, but uh, nice weather this weekend. Really enjoying that. It's perfect for the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, when it's this hot, you know that it's time for hockey. We will be getting into that later, but first, last week I had complained about there being not any news, and we got a couple pieces of fairly noteworthy news in Jackets land. First up, Jack Roslevic, who was a restricted free agent, signed a new contract with the team. Two years, it's going to pay him $4 million a season. So, Seeds, what was your initial reaction to the Roslevic contract? My initial reaction to it was uh, his play in the last two months is the reason he is getting this contract. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know if he would have gotten what he got had the season continued the way it did for mostly for the, basically the first three months of the year. Um, he obviously went on a heater and proved that he could play between Patrick Laine and Jakob Voracek when Boone Jenner went out with injury. Um I'm fine with it. It's not a long-term commitment. Um, it's something the team can easily get out of in a couple of years. They, there's no, it walks Roslovic right to UFA status. Um, he's not really going to be, uh, he doesn't, if, if things don't work out, if he doesn't continue developing or if he doesn't take that next step, the team doesn't have a lot of years tied into him. And if he does continue to develop, they can, you know, renegotiate in a couple of years. Um, it's a good deal for the player. He was kind of up and down, mostly down during his early time here in Columbus after the uh, trade, but he really turned it on these last couple months and it's a good, it's good monetary value for him. It's good term for the team. I think it's kind of a win-win and we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting that it sounds like both the player and the team were thinking short-term with the contract, and so it's just a matter of hammering out the the dollar amount. Um, but once they knew that they had the term set in, that's why this deal could get done so quickly. And I think, yeah, it's the case of Roslevic betting on himself, knowing that if he can put together a couple more seasons like the one he 
just had over the last two months that he can get a bigger contract or a longer contract next time. And for the team standpoint, they don't have to take a big gamble on him at this point, because as you said, real easy contract to get out of. If for some reason he's not working out or if it doesn't fit with the team, you know, it's a very tradable contract. Um, you know, if they have to let him walk, you know, it's not a, not a bad thing to do that. But also if he puts together another good season next year, you know, they could extend him as soon as next summer. Um, I wouldn't do that. I would not do that. I want to see more. I would personally want to see more proof of concept. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But if you have another season of that, would that I still enough, no or? no it would not you'd still no, want to see two years of this ab- absolutely I want to see this consistently over a longer period of time yeah so and I'll also point out one thing that I found very interesting is uh, as you said it this contract takes him right to UFA and you know usually you don't see that with contracts teams like to get a couple UFA years in there but in summer of 2024. He's a UFA. Robinson and Danforth are UFAs. Voracek is a UFA. That's $8.25 million coming off the books. Um, and that's also the year that uh, Johnson, Sillinger, and Marchenko all hit the end of their ELCs. Um, so those guys, in theory, will be due to get raises. And then you have this $4 million for Roslevic and the eight point two five for Voracek coming off the books. So... Now, some of those guys might get re-signed, but not as as much. But then the guys on their ELCs will hopefully be due for big raises. So I think that's kind of savvy for the team to have that cap space opening up that summer. Um, So Roslick, yeah, you know, actually when he came to Columbus, it was his first chance to be playing center full time Mm -hmm. and did pretty well. I mean, he put up uh, 34 points in 48 games in a shortened season, uh, 12 goals there, which matched his career high to that point. Um, and then this year for as bad as he was for the first like four months of the season, he still managed to put up 45 points in 81 games. He passed 20 goals for the first point. So I think for a guy that is a middle six center that can score 20 plus goals, $4 million seems like the right cap hit for him you know and for a guy that is a depth guy two years is the right term for a depth guy you don't want to give term to someone who's not a key star player on the team so all of that seems seems fair to me um so he had you know good first shortened season with us bad start to this season strong finish so we don't really know who the real Rozovic is what do you expect from him next year realistically um realistically i don't think he's as bad as the guy who put up like 24 points in the first four months of the year i don't think he's that bad because he was atrocious for four months of the year like he was horrible um and and there's no way of like sugarcoating i mean he was i mean january and february he january he played 1158 per night for a month and in February in 10 games he played 10.54 a night for a month that's like he was and he deserved those minutes he was that bad the big thing to me is he he was just invisible it's just he he wasn't doing anything out there on the ice 
yeah, it's like it's like you could look at this you could look at the box score and be like, I don't remember one single shift he took. I don't think he's that bad, but I also don't think he's the guy who's going to score ten goals in fourteen games either. If he puts up forty points next year with fifteen goals as a third line center playing behind Sillinger and uh, Jenner, I'm fine with that. That's I mean, that's perfectly reasonable. It's kind of what you'd want from a third line guy. Um, maybe he can chip in on special teams or move up in the lineup if there's an injury. But I think 40 points as a third line guy, that'd be about what I'd be looking for from him. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't match the production that he had this season, but just spread it out more rather than having the yeah. extreme hot and cold times. Um, now, he might get streaky, but I think he we did see some improvement from him away from the puck. Um, part of the of what got him going is that he got uh, penalty kill minutes, which is not what you'd expect for a guy that was not known for his defense, but he ended up being like a decent power killer. And I think it improved his play away from the puck at five on five. No one is going to mistake him for an Alex Wenberg or Riley Nash type guy, but at least to not be a complete liability on the defensive end, um, I think is a sign of, progress and maturity for his game. And I, and that is something that I hope that we can see him build on going into next season. Yeah. And I would really hope to see him kind of take the next step in like defensive zone responsibility, not just like, you know, blocking shots, you know, playing defensive hockey, but on like zone exits and making passes out of the zone and making good plays, heady plays. I was reminded of a god-awful play he made against the Calgary Flames where he threw the puck right to Elias Lindholm that led to a two-on-one for Johnny Gaudreau and Brady Kachuk in a tight game that the Blue Jackets ended up getting blown out of the water in by the Flames on home ice. Mm -hmm. And I want to just see him continue to improve on making make the smart play, make the easy play. Don't try and always make something highlight real. Just make make the good, heady hockey play. And it sounds like, you know, that game, it's been brought up a lot that uh, after that game, there was kind of a come to Jesus talk between him and Larson. And it sounds like he really took it to heart. And the lessons that he learned from that game, he carried with him and it helped him to then be a better player for the rest of the season. And, um, you know, I wish it had taken that to to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But if he, you know, and that's what you know what you get with a young player if you know they're going to make mistakes but what you want to see them do is learn from those mistakes turn that negative into something positive going forward so we've seen that from him and I'm really glad you know this is a guy that you know in January I was thinking like I don't know that he has a future here like this is a guy that we should look to trade except that he had no value at that point you know maybe this is a guy that was going to get non-tendered this summer but yeah he you know he was at the edge there. He put it the work in. He played out of his mind. And uh, yeah, and, and it, it really changed uh, his future entirely, uh, which is great to see. Yeah, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. I don't expect much from him, but if he can be solid as a depth center, it doesn't hurt to have those guys around. Someone someone's gotta play third line center. I just hope that some of the young prospects, whether ones currently in the pipeline or ones that we're going to draft, are able to seize a top two center spot that keeps him down at the third line. If he is 
still in two years playing, you know, first or second line center because no one else has come along that's better. We have bigger that's, problems. Yeah, that that's going to be an issue. But hopefully, some others can can leap over him and he can continue playing. You know, playing at a level that is right for him, as opposed to playing above where he should be. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Columbus players, the Cleveland Monsters announced that their new head coach is going to be Trent Vogelhuber. He is another Columbus product. Uh, Notably, he was the first Columbus product to be drafted by the Blue Jackets. He was a seventh-round pick in 2007. Uh, He then spent part of five seasons uh, with the Jackets in their minor league system. Uh, He was part of the 2016 Monsters team that won the Calder Cup. He then spent two more years in the Colorado organization. Unfortunately, never got a chance to actually play in the NHL. Upon retirement, he has spent the last four seasons as an assistant coach with the Monsters. Uh, this past season, Mike Eves had a lot of health issues, and Bovo Huber was the um, kind of a de facto head coach for much of the season. And the Jackets liked what they saw from him and decided that um, that was kind of an extended interview. That's all they needed to see. So he is the head guy now. Again, he's just going to be 34 this summer, a young coach. Um, any, uh, any thoughts on Trent Vogelhuber as the new Monsters coach? I feel ancient because he graduated college the same year I did. <laughs> um, other than that, um, I wish him the best of luck. Um, I gotta be honest, I didn't really realize he had retired and gone into coaching. Um, but it's a really good opportunity for him. He, you know, he obviously had a, some experience last year, as you said, taking over when Eves was having some health issues. So at least there is some proof of concept with the club. They're not just, you know, hiring a young guy because he's a Columbus product or whatever. He's, they've got some sort of experience with what he's like behind the bench. The players in the room know him and have had experience with him running the bench, running practice, that kind of good stuff. Um, I wish him all the best. I hope it works out for him. He's young enough that he should still be able to connect with the players. I'm, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. I wish him all the best. Yeah, and that's a really great point because I do expect the Monsters roster to continue to be really young just with the way that the team has overhauled their pipeline over the last couple of years. There are a lot of really intriguing prospects that I think should be in Cleveland next season. And these are guys that are going to be, you know, 20, 21, 22. And having a coach that's still in the low 30s should help hopefully connect with them, uh, have the energy necessary for that. It's interesting you bring up the the local thing, and I agree that you shouldn't hire a guy just because he's local or even just because he was in the organization. But I think that it's a nice story with all their things being equal. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you look at his resume, so he played under Larson in Springfield, and then he played under Jared Bednar, in Springfield and Cleveland um, that he coached under John Madden coached under Mike Eves. So a lot of different successful coaches that he has had experience with. And also Brad Larson, <laughs> but Larson was a really good AHL coach. The Springfield Falcons won a couple division titles. Then. Um, but it also, he understands the scheme that Larson wants to do. So Cleveland, as I'm choosing to ignore the joke you're making here, <laughs> He's going to be running a similar scheme, similar style to what Larson does. So there's that continuity 
organizationally. So as players get called up, there's less of an adjustment. And we've seen that the last couple of years because Eve's running something similar to what Torch and Larson are doing. And I think we've seen like this year, guys like Fix Wilansky, Jake Christensen, Carson Meyer, that they were able to get called up and have an immediate impact with the Jackets. They knew what they were supposed to do. Um, and I think that speaks to the way that the Monster staff prepared those guys to play. Or even older guys like Gaunt and Danforth, you know, got their feet wet in the organization in Cleveland and then were able to come up and contribute in Columbus. So I hope that we can continue to see that, um, you know, with this Monster staff going forward. Yeah, I hope they they continue to have some, like, synergy. I hope there's, you know, real communication between the front office here in town and the one up in Cleveland and how the organization is managed and they manage minutes and work on development that way. Yeah. I, I, I just wish Vogel Huber the best and uh, hope it all works out for him. It'd be nice to see a local kid be it and be nice to see a local kid have some success. Absolutely. And it sounds like uh, Mark Latestu is going to stay on the staff as well. So bless. I, lo- I love that guy. Yeah. we got to love Latestu and, and interesting that he signed up to be a development coach and then kind of got thrust into being, an AHL assistant, and but it sounds like that's a role that he's embraced, and uh, so maybe a head coach's uh, position in his future at some point down the line. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back, and this week we have finally the Stanley Cup final on Wednesday in Denver. It is the Avalanche against the Lightning. You have arguably the hottest team of the season versus the two-time defending champion. What is your pick for this series? I hate that I'm going to do this because anyone who listens to this pod knows how much I have been rooting for Colorado, how I've been urging people to cheer for Colorado, mm-hmm. how I think Colorado is something that the, the Blue Jackets should be emulating, how I'm mad that we had Jared Bednar in the organization and he's now gone. Mm-hmm. But I am picking the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series in seven games, and here is why. Braden Point is coming back for this series, and Nazem Kadri likely will not. Or if he does, he will not play. And I think having that second-line center back 
will be the difference in why Tampa wins this series. Um, Kale McCarr had the best season of any defenseman this year. Victor Hedman is still the best defenseman on the planet. I think between having lost Nazem Kadri last season to an absolutely filthy hit by Evander Kane, who should have been suspended even more than he was, which turned out to be the rest of the series, plus uh, Tampa having a huge edge in net with Andre Vasilevsky, I think that is enough for Tampa Bay to win their third straight Stanley Cup. It pains me to say all that. That last point, I think, is the, is the biggest factor because Vasilevsky has been outstanding the last three postseasons, especially when it comes to you know elimination games or chance to close out the series. Um, it's, he's allowed something like two goals in the last eight series winning games, or something like that. Do you know? Do you know what his? Uh, do you know what his save percentage was against the Florida Panthers for that entire series? What What was it? 981. 981. Against a team that averaged 4.1 goals per game this season. I was going to say 980, but then I thought, no, that sounds too high. Oh, my God. He he is unreal. And, you know, I got to give, you know, Pavel Fransos, or however you say his name, he mm-hmm. he did admirably against, you know, a really good Edmonton offense. Um, but, you know, he is what he is. And Darcy Kemper has been good but not great and I just I don't know that that's enough especially when you're going up against a an all-time great goalie in in Vasilevsky and as you said the the depth uh at skater positions that is relevant um the Avalanche are going to be playing Jack Johnson because Samuel Gerrard's out and yeah Sam Gerrard has a cracked sternum uh Andrew Cogliano has a broken hand uh Nazem Kadri has a broken thumb and he can't it, he can't grip a stick it mm-hmm. it's it's really disappointing because going into these po- this postseason i really thought the avalanche were in position that they could win this stanley cup and they i mean don't get me wrong they still are it's entirely possible that kale mccarr and nathan mckinnon just decide we are better than your best players we're better than stamkos it's yeah. entirely possible but there's just a lot of things to overcome and if i really if I really had to sit down and game plan how I think this series is going to play out, I think it's really going to play out a lot like that second round series a few years ago when Vegas shut down Colorado. Colorado's best chance to win this series is just with speed and on the rush. And if Tampa, we've se- we've seen Tampa play extremely well defensively. We've seen them shut down teams through the neutral zone and control the blue line and if they do that against this Colorado team I just don't think there's any way they can score enough goals at five on five to win this series I don't think Colorado can do that without having those rush chances yeah Tampa defensively have been so strong this postseason that is something that has really impressed me about their game we know that they can score we know that they can even get scoring from depth guys like Nick Paul or um, Brandon Hagel but the way that they are able to lock down defensively, um, especially in key games where the opponent is desperate and needs to score, and they are just, not only is Vasilevsky great in goal, but they're not allowing a lot of chances against him even. Um, and that is that is really impressive. Uh, did you see the the Joe Smith article on The Athletic where he interviewed John Tortorella? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did see that. That that was a really great article. And yeah, Torts said that uh, 
you know, we created a monster <laughs> in terms of the adjustments that Tampa made to the way that they played after losing to Columbus in 2019. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't think they had to radically change what they did, but they just added some elements to the game. They added, you know, and not just, oh, oh guys that are, you know, gritty hit, but guys that could both play physical and also do really well offensively. And they just, I think they learned what it took to, to win. And that experience I think has come up huge this year that even when they've been down in some series, like against Toronto, against New York, but they just, they know that they're able to come back into it. And that's, that's really powerful. And Colorado is a team that has maybe disappointed in the playoffs the last few years. And I was wondering if that was a mental hump that they could get over and it seemed, and they obviously have now this year. So we'll see if that confidence can carry them far in the finals. Um, that'll be an interesting kind of mental chess match thing going on between these teams. I think we have gone a little too long in talking about how good Tampa is defensively without mentioning the name Alex Kalorn, mm, who yeah. I think has been absolutely outstanding this postseason, um, and especially in that shutdown role. He doesn't really get the um, doesn't really get the name recognition of a guy like a, a Sasha Barkov or. Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. um, doesn't or, really have that or even profile. In, or even in Anthony Shirelli. Right. He's normally um, considered the shutdown D on that team. Right. But Kalorn has been an incredible shutdown center for this team. And if they could get, if he had any scoring luck whatsoever, he would have, he, his numbers would look much better than they already do this postseason. But he has been incredible defensively. And if, and I strongly suspect that we're, at least in the games in Amelie Arena, we are going to see a lot of Sorelli or a lot of Kalorn matched against um, Nathan McKinnon in that big uh, that big line of Colorado. And if that line gets shut down, Colorado will struggle to score, and that that will leave a lot of questions for for the Avalanche. I like I said, I think Tampa wins this series. I think Colorado is just good enough to make this a seven game series because they are so talented throughout their forward lines, but they. But without Kadri, I just don't think they have. I don't think they have enough, especially when you look at how their power play func- does fails to function without him in that bumper position. Yeah. And it it really sucks for Kadri because he was having a career year and a contract season. He was going to get paid this off season, and it really just sucks for him. He you know he kept his nose clean throughout yeah. the postseason, hadn't really done anything wrong. He this was what everyone had wanted to see from him for years, especially dating back to his years in Toronto. This is what you really wanted to see, and I really wish he was healthy for this. And it just really sucks from a from a fan perspective that we're not going to get these two like Titanic teams at full strength going against right. one another. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, you know, Cotteri had finally been playing clean, and then also was and was playing his best hockey. Um, and so it's a shame that it, it didn't go all the way. You know, credit to some of Colorado's got some depth guys. Um, Lekkinen was a great pickup. Nishusen's been solid. But I think Tampa just has too many different ways that they can beat you. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it could definitely go seven. And I, I really hope it does because we've had so much good hockey in this postseason and we deserve to have a great final to go with it. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that the Tampa is the better option. And honestly, normally I'm not a big dynasty guy in sports, but. I just have so much respect for the way that Tampa has been built as a team and with the way that they play and with the way that they're coached. 
Um, so I I have no problem rooting for them to do it again because they're just so good at what they do. Tampa has been the model franchise for dating back to like 2015 when they went to the cup finals against the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. Um, then they, you know, they've made a couple Eastern conference finals and now they're playing for their third straight Stanley cup. They'd be, if they win, they're the first time they're the first team since the eighties Islanders to win three in a row that, that Islanders team famously won four in a row. This would be this would be something we haven't seen in certainly in my lifetime. It's it's really cool that they're here. It, it's kind of unbelievable given how much hockey they've played. Yeah, last last couple of years, I've been I've been waiting for them to run out of gas. I straight up picked them to run out of gas in the last round. I thought they would. Now, granted, I thought Carolina was going to be there, but you know, right. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought Tampa would run out of gas, but they're that team just finds a way. Like you said, they can win. Every single way they can win high scoring, high flying affairs. They can shut you down. They can, they can play, you know, that skilled hockey game, that you know, fast transition game. They can just play big, bruising mauler hockey. It's it's really impressive how well constructed that team is, and how they continue to do it season after season, turning over. I mean, they turned over their entire second line this year, and they're still back here. If they're able to win, then I think we need to start talking about where John Cooper ranks in the all-time pantheon of NHL coaches, especially like expansion era NHL coaches, because it's been tremendous what he's done with that team. Incredible. And they, and you know, they hung on to him after they, after Columbus swept that team and there was a lot of heat on him and yep. they, and they stuck by him and said, no, we, we believe in this guy. We believe this is our guy. And he has rewarded them. He has shown that he that he they were right to have faith in him. That's that's really cool. Really, really well done team, and you know it's the model NHL franchise right now. Yeah, something to be said for trusting the process. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have a final thought for you. I want to I want to pick your brain on something real quick. Okay. John Tortorella to the Philadelphia Flyers. What do you think of these rumors? I don't like it, honestly. I I mean I think. I think Torch is a good coach, and I think that he could still be successful with someone. I don't think this is the right foot for him because I think there is just not enough talent and not enough good young talent on that Flyers team. Uh, I think the veterans that they have are maybe not going to buy into his my way or the highway uh, attitude. I know that there are people in Philly who want him just because of the toughness element, and Philly is addicted to that kind of thing. but. Um, I think he would he would raise the floor of that team, but there's not enough talent for them to be anything more than a maybe 75-point team, and I don't know that that does anything for them. I would agree with all that. Yeah, that's kind of my thought is I think he would raise the floor. I don't think it's the right fit at all. I think he would be better served on a younger team that can you know use just that stability and that kind of – you know, this is how to be a pro type mentality. What I think a team like Detroit now that he's not been rumored to them, but I think he'd be a great fit for Detroit because he would be able to hone the, you know, all around game mm-hmm. for young guys like mm-hmm. Cider and Raymond. And again, maybe not the guy to take that group all the way, but the type of coach to take that core and get them into the playoffs. And then someone else can come in and take that group all the way. Yeah, he'd be he'd be right for that type of team from from what I could tell on 32 thoughts today. Uh it sounds like 
Eiserman uh, is looking at a real like young guy. He's looking really outside the box at some younger guys, which makes sense. I mean, worked worked for the Lightning when he was down yeah. there. Um, so I guess, uh, but some some team like that, I think that would be an ideal fit for Torch. But yeah, that that Philly core, that aging Philly core, that really needs blown up. Really yeah. needs a blown up. That's just not right for him. I don't think. I, I'd also I, I would put him in. Winnipeg, provided that they could get rid of Wheeler and Shifley, but I also don't know that a Torts Dubois reunion would, would go over very well. Imagine, because uh, I saw that uh, Edmonton isn't or hasn't committed to Woodcroft yet. Imagine him going and coaching McDavid. Ooh, I, Edmonton should absolutely stick with Woodcroft. He did. He really turned that team around when he came in, so I think he deserves a longer look there. But could you imagine seventy point Connor McDavid blocking shots? Just what the good Canadian media wants. <laughs> uh, hey, you never know. It could work. It could work. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. See you next time. For more content from the Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow the Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJ Canon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.